0: home. Home is where the heart is and now the office and the school and the shops and the concerts too. On this Inside Intercom mini-series, we're exploring what that means for various facets of life and how people are managing to persevere with the help of technology. Today's episode is the third in our series and we're turning our attention to the market and finding out what that's come to mean for people in many different guises from mom-and-pop outlets whose move beyond bricks-and-mortar business has been accelerated by recent events, to looking at the jobs market and exploring the dramatic changes happening very quickly in that particular arena. And we also find out how one might go about finding an audience when launching an entirely new tech product. For many of our guests, it seems a market means a community that they can lean on, selling, launching or learning about their business. Today, we'll hear from... Lauren Paddleford, General Manager of Shopify Plus Rosie Gogan-Kyo, Managing Director of Hen's Teeth a Dublin-based studio, gallery and diner Steli Efty, CEO of Close.com and a SaaS sales guru Tyler Davis, CEO of LaunchNotes.io on launching an entirely new product during lockdown and Kyom Kim, Co-Founder and Head of US Operations for Blind As always, there's lots to cover, so let's dive in Shopify is a company that was very much part of the mainstream consciousness long before the COVID-19 situation unfolded. With over a million customers in 75 countries, it had long been the platform of choice for those looking to make the leap to selling online. But with main streets and high streets shuttered in towns across the globe, it's kind of daunting and worrying to imagine what's going on behind the scenes for the individual businesses at stake. If e-commerce is a town though, then Shopify would probably be Main Street. And they're now working with customers who might not have set up shop there for another decade or so at least.
1: So e-commerce, which is our main business. uh, So we, we support retailers around the world. We have about a million customers in 175 countries. So e-commerce is obviously a hot topic right now. If you are not online, uh, getting online has become an imperative. If you are already online, ensuring that that channel is super strong and uh, robust enough to deal with increased demand is important. If you are both an omni-channel retailer, figuring out how to buy online, pick up at curbside, pick up in-store has become an important part of the, the equation. So we've definitely been fielding lots of calls and working with our customers to ensure they have a robust setup to ensure they're prepared and talking to a lot of folks who have never thought about online before. So, you know, we definitely see this as an opportunity for folks to get online. I've described it as COVID gave us a time machine that brought 2030 to 2020. And that time machine has forced the digital transformation onto some folks and some industries who weren't prepared for it and others are just realizing now that there's a whole community of people waiting to buy from them online. So it's been an interesting transition. It's been a, an interesting few months as, as we've gone through this with our customers, uh, but we definitely see a lot of excitement around e-commerce and digital and you know, folks transforming their businesses to allow people to shop from home.
0: For companies like that, that hadn't set themselves up to succeed online pre-COVID-19, What is the challenge that you're seeing for them in adapting now that they have to?
1: So I think for a lot of companies, it's just inertia. It depends on size a lot. So a couple of things that I I try and tell people. First, people are still spending money. So your customers, especially if you're local, if you're a small business, you're a main street business, you know, you've been relying on foot traffic and your local community to support you, that local community still wants to support you. They just don't know how right now. They don't know how to get access to you. If they if they can't walk in your front door, you need to open the digital door so they can keep walking through it and keep buying from you. And for most of those local retailers who haven't set up now, it's largely because they're afraid of it. They, they think technology is much harder to use than it really is had never thought of it because, you know, they had a a good business coming through their front door every day. And so they really didn't need the extra channel um, or they didn't think they did. And so they're just caught kind of behind it now. And so I think what we keep telling people is it's much easier than you think it is to start an online store. Uh, Most Main Street, small businesses, entrepreneurs can have an online store set up in less than a day. So it really doesn't take a huge amount of time or effort it's much more cost effective than you think it is, so you can you can start your online store it, it, you know uh, depending on what platform you use it'll cost you anywhere from a few dollars a month to you know twenty thirty dollars a month but you'll you'll have an online channel and you don't need to have any technical expertise you don't need to be a software developer you don't need to write code these are very simple drag and drop platforms that are available to people so I think There's a lot of misinformation about how hard it is to start an online store. People are nervous. They're not sure what to do. But I think what our advice is, is twofold. One is your customers are out there and they're going to buy from somebody. And so if you don't give them the option to buy from you, they will find another option. And if we go back to some kind of, you know, normalcy in the future, those customers won't come back. They will continue to buy from who was there for them now. And so because it's easy, because the barrier to entry to starting something is not very high, I I highly encourage entrepreneurs around the world, small business owners, um, to just try, to just start. I think you'll find it's easier than you think. And then a few days from now, you'll be selling online and you can tell your customers that you're, you're back and open for business. And I think that's true whether you want to just sell online, whether you want to sell gift cards, whether you want to sell online, pick up and store. All these things are much easier than they probably ever were. And so there's really no reason why uh, a business of any size, but especially small businesses, shouldn't be getting online right now and re-engaging their customers.
0: Despite it all, it's encouraging and inspiring to hear about businesses facing the current crisis with such creativity and adaptability. There's something about Lauren's time travel analogy that really makes sense. How we shop and trade is culturally and socially relevant, especially in a time of change much like in the 1960 adaptation of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, which used a retail shop front to show the passage of time. It's now interesting to watch as traditional mom-and-pop stores or family-run bars suddenly shift their focus and engage with their customers on an online portal rather than over a counter.
1: There are really amazing examples of the entrepreneurial spirit all over the world. I like to say that by definition, entrepreneurs are illogical because if you were logical, you wouldn't start a company. And so by, by definition, entrepreneurs are ready for this kind of crazy environment because they think in a different way than most people. And so what we're seeing is people pivot their businesses and come up with brand new things they could be selling. We're watching offline things become online things. So you know, here where I live in Waterloo, which is just outside of Toronto, we've seen a bunch of the local breweries start delivery, like buy online, deliver to your house programs, um, which is amazing because like these are businesses that were dependent on beer stores and liquor stores before and now they're delivering their their products right to your house. We've seen a lot of restaurants, small local restaurants, um, you know, start their own online stores and using their employees to deliver products to people. You know, we've seen big pivots, companies who were doing you know, fashion pivoting to PPE and and helping support that cause, which is always really amazing to see. We, we've we seen very large companies who didn't have direct-to-consumer. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we launched Heinz's, like Heinz Ketchup, their first ever direct-to-consumer play. And we did that with Lint, and we've done that with some other brands who have relied on department stores and grocery stores and things like that are now going direct-to-consumer. So I think we we see a lot of innovation. We see a lot of entrepreneurs of all scales and sizes trying new things and experimenting and uh, trying to figure out how to keep engaged in both the shop local, which is a huge trend, but also just engaging their customers in a way that maybe they haven't before. So it is, it is really inspiring to watch. And, and, you know, there's just countless examples of in every region around the world of uh, folks who are predominantly offline embracing online and realizing there's a whole new world there and a whole new group of customers they can uh, can interact with.
0: One such company is Hen's Teeth in Dublin, who, having heavily invested recently in launching their new physical space, comprising a diner, wine bar, gallery, shop, and design studio, suddenly found themselves shuttering the shop. How would they adapt their business to what was unfolding? We spoke to Managing Director, Rosie Gogan-Kyo.
2: Hens Teeth is a is a brand that creates contemporary cultural experiences and moments in in food, art, and music. Essentially, what that means is that we have we have a a permanent home uh, that we opened in uh, just in November twenty nineteen in Dublin, where we have a diner where we serve breakfast, lunch. Uh, It's kind of diner food with a kind of Irish local twist. And then by night, we we operate a wine bar out of it, and then we also have our gallery. And store where we work with artists from around the world to create original and limited edition artworks. So that could be a collection of neons or a limited edition ceramic or a series of prints. And then we also, in that space, have our creative studio where I suppose we take what we do across our gallery and store and diner uh, in creating those sort of cultural experiences and we do that work with brands. So that's
0: us us in a nutshell. Brilliant. That's a really lovely summation, actually. Before now, though, online sales, like how you're describing the business there, online sales were only a minor part of what you did. Now, though, they're kind of at the core of it. So how have you adapted the rest of your offerings to suit what is happening right now?
2: Yeah, so going back to the very very start of Hen's Teeth, when the brand was first created in 2015, it was a website and several exhibitions were held over each year, but it wasn't until 2017 that we had our first bricks and mortar store. Which when we got that first bricks and mortar store, I suppose maybe because that that was located in a really kind of busy city center space. The focus possibly became less on the online store, which had been the core of our business and was more reliant on that kind of busy footfall, which we had, which was really consistent and that that kind of kept the brand building. When we moved into this new space in November, that sort of shifted again because we moved a little bit outside of the city center, which is what we wanted for the development of, of the brand. We wanted to create this new kind of community space, which was more in a kind of a neighborhood location. But again, that kind of shifted how the store operated because Footfall wasn't wasn't as kind of reliable as it had been before. So we were already, before this whole global pandemic happened, we were already beginning to kind of shift our thoughts in just like what was the priority for for hens teeth as a brand and how it lived online so so when all of this happened you know i think we were really pleasantly surprised to see just kind of instant uptake in in online sales i think there was kind of two big reasons behind that in early march we just had a big launch of an exhibition in Dover Street Market in London. Uh, That was a Honey Dijon and Marina Esmeralda series of neons. So off the back of that, we had a huge kind of global press and lots of kind of attention on Instagram and stuff like that. So people were suddenly, I think there was a big growth in awareness about, about what we did. But then also I think within Ireland when all of this happened I think there's just been such a surge in people really wanting to support local independent businesses so we've kind of experienced the kind of a two-fold benefit from seeing a sort of an increase in global sales plus that local kind of appreciation which for us you know having to close down obviously the diner hasn't been allowed to operate and close our physical space it, that's really I suppose given us you know hope for the for the future of the business and really you know when And once the kind of shock of everything kind of died down, it, you know, really kind of, I suppose, made us think much more clearly about where the future of our business really and the core of it was and, you know, and how we could, in whatever this new landscape is going to be, you know, really maintain that kind of core element. So for us, you know, we've really focused on you know've we've, we've had to but also we've, we've wanted to just kind of focus on that digital side of it and which had probably been neglected over over the past couple of years because you know like any small business as you grow and you add bits on it's easy to kind of neglect the bits that you know I think are just trucking along of their of their own
0: accord yeah and I think Rosie to be fair to you if your aim as you say was to build more of a community the default isn't that that community would be online.
2: Well, exactly. But actually, I think this has made us re- remember that a huge part of it is online. And, you know, exactly. our focus has always been, you know, we pride ourselves on being, you know, a business that's distinctly Irish and based in Dublin. But we have a global outlook and, you know, we really see our offering as as international. And, you know, the artists we work with are from across the globe. So our customer base is is international as well. And that's that's something that we are kind of, you know, just glad of in, in these times that we can that we can really kind of build on that and kind of focus again on that core offering
0: it's great though that you had those early days to fall back on that understanding of online trade and how a company can thrive in that environment because you you guys I suppose create experiences rather than just selling stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with selling stuff, but what is the biggest challenge in trying to recreate that experience online? Yeah. So, I mean, one project that we just
2: released last week was our spring, summer Hens Teeth clothing collection. So that would have been something ordinarily we would have launched it with a big party in our space. And had lots of people down who would, you know, Join us for a drink and buy some merch. Obviously, that couldn't happen. So, but we didn't want to see this kind of season not happen. So, what we did was our designer, Mel Keane, who's based in, who's actually based in Lisbon at the moment, and our head of production, Noel Feeney, who's been spending lockdown with his parents out in the west of Ireland, they worked collaboratively just on a concept of how we could best present this online. So what Noel did was he went and he recorded lots of beautiful imagery, filmed lots of beautiful imagery uh, on the west coast of Ireland, capturing kind of really iconic, kind of summery feeling elements of nature. So there was like yellow gorse and the crashing waves and all these kind of beautiful bits. And then he's
0: lucky he was in the west of Ireland, <laughs> <laughs> a very beautiful
2: backdrop to create. Yeah. Thing. Um and so then they la- they laid Mel's t-shirt designs, bag designs over these like really, really beautiful backdrops, I suppose, uh, which created this lovely kind of very vibrant Instagram content, which has done really, really well. So that was a kind of actually a lovely way of creating something that maybe we wouldn't have put as much time or, you know, or or focus into if we were just going, okay, well, we'll launch this t-shirt collection and then launch it with a party. So this was actually, I think, an example of something that's worked really, really well for us. We were also kind of planning a a big exhibition with a London, well, she's not based in London anymore, he's based in Sweden, but Mason London is is his illustrator's name. And we've been planning this kind of, big very kind of interactive installation in our space and it was one of those things that was going to take a lot of time and investment but it was going to be really awesome it was going to be his first kind of big exhibition but as we sort of looked at you know how things are unfolding and we realized that we couldn't really guarantee that in three months time we'd be able to put something like this on and you know and really Mm -hmm. justify the investment that it would take to build it so we've we've decided we're gonna launch that digitally instead. And actually, you know, for somebody like Mason, his his illustrations are so intricate and he creates these beautiful worlds. I think actually challenging him with creating something for this digital world where his work really lives and breathes anyway, I think is is gonna actually do equally well for this for this collection that he's he's gonna launch. So yeah, I mean it just it does, it makes you become a bit more creative, but mm. you know, thankfully we work with really Talented, creative people, and and this time is you know has given us time to actually come up with ideas. Which you know, when you're running running a diner and a gallery and store <laughs> and, and a studio, you you often don't find find as much time as you would like.
0: Embracing the focus that can sometimes be afforded by remote working and the creativity that can bubble to the top during adversity, sure seems to be serving Rosie and her team well. For a group of creatives with a background in online trade, it's probably not as steep a hill to climb as it might be for others. Stelly Fd is always a reliable source of inspiration for sales teams. And he's been thinking a lot about what the shift to remote means for them in particular and what sort of challenges it might bring.
3: Well, I think the, the, the one general tip that I would give to anybody during this time, something to keep in mind is that working from home does not equal working remotely, right? And, and working from home during a global pandemic doesn't equal anything, right? So just realizing that this at times might not be your most productive time or your team's most productive time, and that has to be okay. Like That's an important thing to keep in mind in order to not add even more anxiety and stress to what's already there and then start seeing things break in ways that can't be repaired anymore. So just relaxing and asking yourself as a sales leader, what are the truly significant and important things that I need to make sure get done and get done well? And what are things that I'd like to have and that I think are are important, but if they don't get done this week or next week, if they get done a little slower, that's fine. Like finding the ways to cut people slack and to increase the amount of slack that you have in the system, I think is important during a time like this. Mm. When it comes to more, you know, specific, how do I manage people when they're not physically in the same space, especially many sales teams, they really feed off each other's energy. The sales floor is a real like high energy environment that stimulates certain behavior and inspires certain behavior. So you take that away and a lot of sales leaders and managers will feel a little lost on like how to replicate that remotely. I would say you just do it one step at a time. Number one, over communicate. So you know, try to do maybe three check-ins, like, and they can be short ones—five minute, ten minute—in the morning, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day, where you do a Zoom call, audio, video, and always push people to share audio, video, no matter how chaotic their background is. Mm. Right? Um, this is not like a beauty kind of uh, <laughs> a beauty contest. But it's about seeing each other to just, again, increase the kind of social connectivity of the interaction and doing quick check-ins in the morning, stand up, hey, what is the one thing everybody wants to get done? What are the challenges that you foresee for the next couple of hours as you're trying to do work? Then let everybody go back to work, do their thing. And then maybe in the middle of the day, you take a snack or you have a virtual coffee and you go, how did the day go? And it's important as a leader to, in this time, to go first. And if you want people to be open, if they're having a difficult time, then you need to be open and share once in a while. Hey, you know, girls and guys, the last couple of hours, I didn't get anything done I wanted to get done. It really just sucked. I had the babies crying. I had the, you know, my parents calling me. They're having a, you know, nervous breakdown. And I try to finish this one thing. I really struggle with it. That's behind me now, though. I'm going to have this coffee with you, you're going to inspire me, and then I'm going to get these two important things done today no matter what, right? And like sharing it that openly will inspire others to also feel comfortable sharing when they're having struggles or when they're uh, encountering difficulties without making excuses, right? Because that's the way you shared it. And that's going to allow people to kind of decompress and, and, and take off the pressure and also keep each other accountable and inspire each other. Right, Or it could be that you just had a difficult sales call. Or if you had a really good little success sharing that. And then at the end of the day, you do another quick five-minute call. Again, video and audio. This is overkill for a developer that is listening to us or an engineering team that's listening to us. That's like, I don't need to do three video calls a day. Is this person nuts? And they're absolutely right. For lots of people, this is not ideal. But I think for a sales team, this is the right format. And then at the end of the day, you check in and you go, hey, what happened today? And what is my plan for tomorrow? And everybody shares that. And if you do that, and if you do it openly and with high energy, you don't have to micromanage people. It's going to be kind of a, through the transparency, there's going to be self enforcing and through that having at least three quick checkpoints a day where you see each other, you see the team, it's going to be more inspirational and kind of more energy inducing for a sales team than for many other teams. So if you just read the generic, how to work and collaborate remotely advice, a lot of times it doesn't heavily weigh on the social aspect of things, but it's also because most of that advice is just not written for sales teams and salespeople.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And Sally, before I let you go, like it is a time of extraordinary change. Are there any trends that you're seeing emerge that you think will become part of our business life in the future or any kind of changes that you've made that you'd like to retain?
3: It's a very good question. Yeah, I do think that a lot of things will change and stay with us for for longer than we all anticipate. Many things I suspect, well, many dominoes will still fall in ways that are going to be unexpected for all of us in all kinds of ways over the next six to 12 months. But I do think that this event, if you like it or not, I do think this event is, is pushing technology and technology adoption even faster and even further throughout the world, right? I think that this event is probably going to slow down travel for longer than we all anticipate. Not that there's not going to be any travel, but there's going to be less travel, less massive events with lots of people. So if your business was relying heavily on conferences, big conventions, I would not assume that these are all going to come back in a couple of months and resume to normal. So I think adapting to technology, adapting to more remote and more online collaboration for all its pros, I know there's many cons, but I do think that these things are going to stay and push further than they have in the past, for sure. Those are, those are some some big things that I would say. And so figuring out how to not just work in an environment that's called work or office, figuring out how to get more resilient as an organization, be able to change and adapt more, as I assume that over the next two, three years, maybe there's going to be more kind of unexpected change and faster pace change and we're used to, I think those, those are things that, that need to be kept in mind. One thing that we uh, repeat consistently within the company that I think is a good quote to keep at the top of your mind during these times is that it's not the strongest that survive, especially not in uncertain times, it's the most adaptable that do. So it's not about being huge, big, and resource rich. During times like these, it's about who can change the fastest, who can adapt the fastest. I think that's good advice for individuals, for families, as well as for businesses. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know that Episode 2 of Offscript, our new series of candid conversations with Intercom, all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing, is out now on YouTube. Here's a teaser featuring our Chief Product Officer, Paul Adams, discussing AI-first customer service. The best place
4: for me to start is that Technology only moves in one direction. Once you go through these like before-after moments, you never go back. AI has clearly already shown us that it can help in transformational ways. It has given us a new way to do customer service, and that new way is AI first. The business that provides incredible customer service is the business that will win. And the earlier that people lean into this completely new mindset, the earlier they can deliver this incredible holy grail type customer experience. It's a huge opportunity for businesses to literally change how people think about them. It's just a matter of time.
3: That's all to come on episode two of Offscript. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel right now, and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode.
0: Adaptability and collaboration are hugely important attributes for any team at the moment. One group who've had to learn this particularly quickly are LaunchNotes.io, who are launching their business in the midst of a global pandemic. So where do you even start? As Tyler tells us, they've been greatly supported by the industry community that he and his co-founders had become part of at Status Page and Atlassian.
5: I would say one thing that that has been very surprising and and amazing is is the amazing support and generosity that we've received from the community and just the the industry at large. I mm-hmm. I want to believe that that's something that has been going on regardless, but it's been great for us because it has helped us get in front of more people. It's helped us get more of the kind of processes and tools that we need set up more affordably so that uh, for a small business. And so that's been amazing. Just thinking about that and, and realizing how this community has kind of come together around this climate, we realized that we wanted to actually launch with a free tier, and so that's one of the biggest changes that we've made to our plan. Is that we're we have a free tier that's available for you know it's it's definitely kind of targeted for smaller teams and, and up and coming yeah. businesses, but it's it's available to anybody, and it will be available for forever. And so that's that's the the one thing. The other aspect of, of this is that we have accelerated the timeline for for our release. I think we were um, going to push it out to the next month or so, but just given, you know, obviously we're home and, and focused more on this, I think it was, we decided to push it up to be quicker.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting to me, Tyler, that you A, brought forward your timing and B, have actually made it more widely accessible to a greater group of people. Can you tell me a little bit about your reasoning for that?
5: Yeah, I mean, it started with just how people have been treating us and reaching out and offering support and guidance and overall generosity. And we realized that this is, it's pretty universal across this entire community. And I I want to believe that it's, it's kind of always the case. But I think especially now, during these times, people have been reaching out and extending that generosity more. And so we realized that this is something that we need to do. And given the type of tool that we are building, that you know, it's specifically a team collaboration tool and it's great for remote teams that span time zones. We wanted to give that back and, and pay that forward to the community.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like it's going to be really, really useful to people. Speaking about that community, how have people within it responded to what you guys are putting out there?
5: We have had just overwhelmingly positive feedback with everybody that we've talked to. Um, we've got a, a very, very loyal private beta group that has been helping us polish off our initial offering and, and they have been just been fantastic. We've been getting a ton of interest for our private beta signups. And so uh, everybody that has seen the product has been getting into it and starting to use it. And so that's that's super exciting.
0: I guess it's exciting for people to to see someone actually go ahead and launch at the moment, because, you know, outside of our industry, there's probably a tendency to put things on pause a little bit. So it is, it's encouraging, if nothing else, to see companies like yours launch, to see companies continue to onboard people and to continue to see glimmers of growth across the industry where it's not necessarily something that you're seeing in the news or in other places. Are there parts of this experience of, of launching your company in the here and now that you think you'll retain as part of your business going forward outside of, say, for example, just the acceleration of working remote or even actually having that that free tier?
5: I would say the biggest thing for us is probably don't take anything for granted. It's, it's so easy, especially in, in Silicon Valley, to get used to things like big, huge, beautiful offices, stock kitchens, all the amazing perks of you know the software industry. As the saying goes, you never truly know what you have until it's gone. And I think that's something that our team will definitely carry forward. I think we're extremely lucky to be in the position that we're in, and we shouldn't ever take that for granted now or in the future. The other thing is, you know, I think as a startup, any startup is hopefully being scrappy and, and trying to make a lot out of a little. I think given the times and given the challenge that we have now we've we've kind of learned how to kind of to amplify that and so I think I think that's something that we will also carry over.
0: Not taking things for granted and learning to be scrappy is certainly advice that we can all take forward with us. What if you're the one being taken for granted? The sudden shift in economic circumstances and terrifying uncertainty that recent times have brought is bound to impact employment, job security and satisfaction. It's likely we'll see a change in dynamics between companies and their employees, for a while at least. One company with a unique vantage point on this change is Blind, who offer an anonymous platform for employees to discuss their workplaces. We spoke to CEO Kyum Kim.
4: What Blind basically is, it's an anonymous community of verified professionals, and we have over 3.5 million users worldwide. And we give the users ability to verify with their work email, and we provide channels where they can communicate with their coworkers privately or publicly with professionals from other companies. And we do have a huge presence in the tech industry in the US, so we have about 70,000 Verified employees at Microsoft using our platform, about 60,000 at Amazon, 21,000 at Facebook, 26,000 at Google, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And it's mainly used to um, talk about work. So there's not a lot of platforms where you can be candid about talking about work. And we're one of them. And people use our platform to share advice, share information on job search within their company. And they also talk about a lot of feedback they want to give to the companies um, in in our platforms. And the essence of our platform is definitely the anonymity. And that kind of, I can kind of move on to the use cases before COVID-19. Because of the anonymity, there were a lot of benchmarks about career search. So when people look for a job, a lot of people came to blind to ask questions to these verified professionals who are already working in companies that they want to interview at. So uh, we've seen a lot of that prior to COVID-19. And also one of the main use cases is people, of course, talk privately in their company channels amongst their coworkers. So um, how do you proceed? How do you advance your career within your company? That was one of the big topics that definitely came up before COVID-19.
0: And so what sets Blind apart from other resources? There's much more in-depth information that you can talk about on it.
4: Yeah, so I think the beauty of our platform is that users can be verified, but at the same time be anonymous. So, how that represents in the community activity of the users is they are willing to share information, more information to our community, and they're willing to share candid opinions about work related issues because number one, they're verified. So they have they have more relevance to this platform and there's a context into it. So if I have a question for like a Facebook employee, I can just come into blind and ask a question and I would probably get an answer within minutes. And another aspect, the anonymity helps people just bring out those honest thoughts and um, information that wouldn't be shared um, anywhere else in the world. So I think that's... Those two are what really breaks us apart from other platforms out there.
0: Great. And so in terms of the last few months then, what have you guys at Blind observed going on? What sort of employment trends are you seeing emerge?
4: Yeah. So because we're an audience community and we, you have gained trust from our users from the six years of our operation, we've seen a lot of users just helping each other through these hardships that may occur during work. And How that's showing right now is people are giving referrals to each other in case they were laid off. And we've seen people creating spreadsheets where um, you can submit yourself um, if you got laid off. And also there has been a lot of information sharing on which companies are hiring, uh, which companies are not. And also, of course, um, we've seen a lot of information sharing on which companies are laying off and which companies are implementing work-from-home policies early on versus later. So okay. um, yeah, a lot of things have been happening in the past two months.
0: Are you seeing a lot of people calling out positive behaviors on behalf of companies that they've worked for?
4: Yeah, sure. So one of the memorable posts that I saw was um, about Microsoft and it was, I think it was early March when I saw it and that, that's when Microsoft announced that they're going to still pay contractors throughout mm. the times. And there was a Microsoft employee actually praising Microsoft, their own employer, about that decision. And I think a lot of companies followed them afterwards. So, And we also did a survey to our users. And surprisingly, more than half of the professionals have better perception towards their employers than before. Because I think a lot of employers have shown empathy to their workforce. And they were quick on implementing policies that can help them kind of maintain their productivity and mental health. So we've definitely seen a lot of positive posts about that. But meanwhile, yeah, there there has been a lot of criticism for some of the employers out there, especially the employers who have laid off people and didn't find a way to be sensitive to how the employees would take it. So at the end of the day, I think it's a great opportunity for the employers to actually brand themselves to the employees right now. yeah. And I think it this is going to, I mean, people are going to remember this because th- these are somewhat traumatic times for everyone. And what trauma actually means is you're going to remember it. And if companies show empathy to employees, I think that's going to last for years, if not decades. And we've also seen posts from our users saying that, they want to go to these companies because of these actions versus I'm never going to interview at these companies because I've heard this from a friend. So yeah, that that's just basically my take on the situation right now.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. It, it feels more democratic if people are actually genuinely seeing both sides of the coin, the companies that are are being empathic and are treating employees well and those that aren't. What is the biggest challenge on an individual basis then from the kind of posts that you're seeing? What What sort of issues are people dealing with?
4: Yeah. So for the employees and at these companies, I think uncertainty is definitely killing them. So we have been running a lot of surveys to our users asking about job security. And we did the same survey in March and April, and we've seen the numbers go up by around 20%. And also, I think what's really special about this situation is that the whole work from home is not voluntary. Like everyone's just forced to stay home versus like choosing to stay home. Mm. And that is a huge difference because, for example, for working parents, they need to take care of their children at the same time, um, be productive for work. So, we've, we've also done surveys on working parents and uh, we found out that they're having a hard time staying productive. And we found out that more people are feeling lonely and more people are feeling anxious because of the work from home situation. And also we've seen that more people are burned out compared to February from a survey that we did a week ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, these are all actually issues that are very common to a lot of the people that we've spoken to for the podcast. Um, and that's quite a public forum as well. Just the, the it's it's the same issues that people seem to be facing across the world and across industries. Um, especially that one of, of the enforced working from home and having family and children around. Um, do you think, Hium, as most re- regions face into the threat of recession coming out of lockdown, that there's going to be a shift of balance in the balance of power between employees and employers? And what do you think that means for the tech industry as a whole?
4: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I do agree that it's going to be a hard time for the employees or the job seekers. But I would really like to be hopeful that the economy will recover in some way in the next year or two. And I think what we need to really be aware is that this shift in balance will be temporary as we are going to need these people back in the workforce. So again, I think companies should use this as an opportunity to build a relationship with their employees or even If they're doing layoffs or even if they have to let people go, make them understand and be really empathetic while executing whatever they need to. And there will be even more flexibility after this crisis, uh, after this pandemic, because now people are not physically tied to any location because remote work is going to be the norm. And remote work will be the norm, not because the companies want it, but the employees want it now. Mm -hmm. And that shows from our surveys and about 64% of professionals, they want to continue working from home after the coronavirus lift because now people are talking more about hygiene and they're much more worried about going to work when there is a high density in population. And 64% of professionals are less likely to use shared or common spaces. And surprisingly, 90% of professionals expect more flexible work-from-home policies to persist. So when these kind of things become the norm, a lot of people will be free of those physical restrictions, which means there's going to be much more job flexibility for the professionals. So assuming the economy will recover someday, then the companies will have to do a really good job in building that relationship with employees. And I think that starts now because people are going to remember this
0: people will indeed remember this, whether employees or customers. The decisions that businesses and individuals make today will no doubt have huge implications for the relationships they carry forward into the future. It's clear that this sense of community has been a strong theme throughout our conversations today, whether it's finding like-minded colleagues or mentors who can advise on what's happening or an industry that has reached out to support a newly supported business. Or it could even be as simple as sending a gift from far away. Here's Rosie again.
2: Yeah, I mean, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. You know, I think Hen's Teeth as a brand is, is a very playful and positive brand. And I think people really respond to that, particularly right now where, you know, it's such an uncertain time and people need a little moment of joy in their lives. So, if, you know, if we can do that with, say, one, you know, the T-shirt range that was very much, you know, kind of acknowledging the kind of strangeness of isolation but also trying to kind of play on nostalgic memories of of having fun in the sun and things like that Mm -hmm. you know if we can bring a moment of joy to people then that's that's amazing so yeah by and large feedback has been really positive we've been able to you know help people keep in touch with friends and family by you know delivering them small gifts so people can let each other know that they're thinking about each other. And, you know, and that's been coming from Irish expats who live around the world, who want to treat their their siblings or their parents uh, who are, you know, in Ireland and vice
0: versa. Lockdown is teaching people how vibrant and local an online community can be. While e-commerce opens doors to a global audience, it can also help people find the businesses and services that they need right on their doorstep even if the doors above that step need to stay closed for the foreseeable.
1: Yeah, this crisis has strangely brought local communities together now that we're uh, socially distanced and in isolation far more than we were before this. And what that means is that we all care a lot about our friends and family and the local communities we live in because we live here. And so we're watching the restaurants we loved or the stores that we love to go to struggle. And we're realizing, wait, I don't have to buy from these faceless marketplaces that only care about themselves. I can buy from, and I want to buy from my local community. And so I think the challenge is a lot of the local retailers weren't ready. And so I go out and try and find that web store to buy from, and it doesn't exist. And You know, I still need to buy the product, so I go looking for the next available option. But I always start local. And uh, I think, you know, we recently released a product that helped that um, when we released the shop app, finding local stores. And I think, like, it's such a huge movement that I don't think is going to go away. Uh, I really believe that that shop local is here to stay. And that's why we are spending so many resources trying to just get people to start online stores is you know, we're all out there. We all want to spend the money on our local economy, but it's, you know, it's challenging when a lot of the stores don't exist.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. But I guess that's where you guys come in. As you say, it is, it's a remarkable change that we're seeing in people kind of putting their attention towards local stores online and long may that continue. But it is a time of, a very challenging time and a time of extraordinary change. What other trends are you seeing emerge that you think are going to continue in the future and might in fact have a positive impact on e-commerce?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that's not going to go back to normal. I, I really, we, we encourage our own employees and everyone we talk to, there is no going back. We are now in a pre-COVID and post-COVID world. And so what we're trying to figure out is what does shopping look like in the future?
0: We hope you enjoyed episode three of Home, a special four-part series on Inside Intercom that explores how folks are adapting in their approaches to health and wellness, socializing, business, and entertainment in our current circumstances. We'll be back next week with our final episode, which looks at entertainment. Make sure you don't miss out by subscribing now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you'll join us.